And tonight I want to spend some time in Psalm 1 and possibly tomorrow night as well. There's a lot in this psalm. Sometimes we become so familiar with a passage of Scripture that we kind of lose the joy of it or we don't dig into it. We just take it as a surface, as a lump sum without digging beneath the surface and really digging some things out. And that's what I'd like to do tonight is to look at the first half of the psalm, maybe probably just verse one, uh, maybe the first line, if I'm to be done by six, maybe the first three words. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> let's uh, let's again read it together in unison, shall we? Only six verses together. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Father, we thank you now for this opportunity to meet together, to enjoy the special music, the singing of these great gospel songs, and the testimonies that they represent in the lives of the composers and the authors. We think of P.P. Bliss, a very short life, ended at 38 years of age, a tragic train accident, and yet the wealth of wonderful music, both lyrically and musically, that he has left behind for us to enjoy. We are grateful for the gift of sacred music. We are thankful, Father, for the gift of your word. I pray that the Spirit of God would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding tonight as we dig into this familiar psalm May we get some truths, perhaps, that we have long overlooked or perhaps are fresh. Lord, may you challenge us, encourage us, and bless us, and honor the Lord Jesus, and save that soul that's nearest hell. And for what you'll do, we'll be eternally grateful, for we ask it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to suggest to you the first half of the psalm deals with the blessed man of God. The second half of the psalm deals with the ungodly man. Notice the ungodly are not so. What the godly man experiences, it is not possible for the ungodly man to enjoy. But I want to suggest to you, while we look at these first three verses dealing with the life of the blessed man, there are three things that are prerequisite for God's blessing. First of all, blessed is the man. The word blessed means happy. And the man... The word man does not mean men versus women. Uh, We've got to be careful how we deal with that issue these days. But it's used generically referring to mankind or more specifically to God's people. There are three things I want to leave with you in these first three verses. Number one, if you desire truly and honestly before God to enjoy his blessing in your life, in verse one, you must be separated from the world. Number two, in verse two, you must be strengthened by the word. And number three, in verse three, you must be situated by the water. W-O-O-D-E-R, water. I have a glass of water right here. 
The only people who know how to pronounce that term properly are from the tri-state area, southeastern Pennsylvania, South Jersey, and Delaware. All the rest of the world continues to go on pronouncing it the wrong way. We won't get into the Philadelphia versus Pittsburgh aspect of Pennsylvania. All right, let's look then at verse 1, separation from the world. Now, folks, the Bible teaches very clearly the doctrine of biblical separation. And there are two primary areas that are dealt with. One, of course, is called ecclesiastical separation. And that is more on a ministry level. The word ecclesia is the church, the, the called out ones. So ecclesiastical separation deals with this local church not involving itself in ministries with other churches or movements or individuals who do not subscribe to the same doctrinal statement that you hold to. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, we're told, don't bring him into your house, which was the meeting place of the church. Don't even bid him Godspeed. Don't even say, God bless you, brother, lest you become a partaker of his evil deeds. That is why this church does not support movements like Promise Keepers, like Ecumenical Evangelism, like the Tongues Movement, and all these other movements that are coming down the road. All kinds of areas, their pressures are being put on local church pastors to give in and to compromise even just a little bit. But you see, if the New Evangelical can get us fundamentalists to compromise just a little bit, they figure they've got their foot in the door and they'll keep pushing for another little bit and another little bit. How do you eat an elephant? One little bite at a time. Before long, there's nothing left but the bones. But there's a second area of separation the Bible clearly teaches, and that is personal separation from the world. In separation, Ecclesiastes, we're dealing with apostasy, unbelief, infidelity. In personal separation, we're dealing with the attitudes, the habits, the attire, the associations, the amusements of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not him. Which, by the way, was written to believers. Now, having said that, it is this latter area of separation to which the psalmist refers. Uh, Blessed is the man that, notice there's three areas of this separation, that number one, walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, the word walk here does not denote our exercise, but it denotes our lifestyle. In the authorized version, which is the only one that I use in my ministry, uh, just to be clear about this, I use the 1769 King James, which is what probably all of you use. Um, There are two words used to denote our lifestyle. One of those is found uh, in the New Testament only. That is the word conversation. And then there's the term walking, which is used both in the Old as well as the New Testament. It means, again, our lifestyle or our manner of living. Now, the Apostle Paul uses that term walking, denoting our lifestyle, in a positive way in Galatians 5 and verse 16, where he says this, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Please understand, dear friend, please understand, the flesh is not your friend. The flesh, now we're not talking about your skin and bones, we're talking about that part of your immaterial spiritual being that is literally at war with God from the get-go. The depravity of man, folks. The flesh will never lead you closer to God. The flesh will always lead you away from God. And Paul says we're not to, we're not to give in to the appetites of the flesh. And the only way we can do that, that by, by the way, will be sin. Giving in to the appetites of the flesh is, is, is what sin's all about. 
And Paul says the only way we can have victory is to walk in the Spirit. Now what does that mean? Walking in the Spirit has nothing to do with a supernatural, emotional, charismatic type of experience we hear so much about today. Uh, it simply means to walk, to live your life on a day-to-day basis, controlled by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, etc., and all those other things we could add there, as we willingly submit ourselves and yield ourselves to His control. Now, let me take that even a step further, and hang on to your seats. I'm not teaching false doctrine. So, Pastor, just relax now. I know this is going to make us blow. What, what kind of preacher have I got here? When you are walking in the Spirit, controlled by Him, not only will you not sin, you cannot sin. Now, I'm not teaching that doctrine of sinless perfection. There's some who say, well, I can reach a place in this life where I will be so spiritual that I can never, I can never sin. I'm not able to ever sin again. I believe that time will come, but not as long as we're in this life. That we will be glorified with the Lord. At that point, we'll be free from even the temptations of sin. Then we will never again be able to sin. There'll be no temptation to sin because we'll be in a perfect environment. It's called heaven, a place with the Lord. Now, the fact is, folks, we all sin. And if we go back and carefully examine, if, when we realize I, I, I've said something, uh, I, I've done something, I, I've thought something that I know <clears throat> is not right, it is sin, I need to go back, and if you carefully examine your life, you know what you'll find? At the point where you committed that act of sin, you were not walking in the Spirit, but walking in the flesh. When you are controlled by the flesh, we will sin. When we are controlled by the Spirit of God, we will have victory. So Paul uses that term in in a very positive way. Walk in the Spirit, and we shall not fulfill, won't give in to the lust and the appetites of the flesh. Again, in Amos 3.3, the Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Except they be of the same mind, in the same book, in the same chapter, in the same page, at the same time? I'll be honest, I do not accept every invitation I get for ministry. I get invitations probably a half a dozen or more a month uh, for ministry overseas. Invariably, it's to come and be participating with their healing services. And what they really want is another American evangelist to come and bring contacts for financial support. And I don't do that. I'm not interested in getting involved with those with whom we do not agree doctrinally. So I try to, I, I got burnt once overseas, and I, I, I said, Lord, I'm not going to get burned again. So I don't accept invitations to minister overseas with someone that either I do not know or someone that I know well does not know. They have to have some kind of a recommendation or, or be with a board or be with someone that I do know and have confidence in. Because I got burned once, I don't plan to get burned twice. And it was, it was bad, folks. Anyway, can two walk together except they be, can two work together? except they be agreed. Now, the the counsel here refers to the advice, the principles of life and living of the ungodly, or simply those who are not saved. Now, folks, not all ungodly people are ungodly in their lifestyle. Jude talks about the ungodly deeds which ungodly men have ungodly done, uh, like sort of a description of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was ungodliness at at its worst. We are fast approaching that type of an ungodly uh, situation here in America. 
But the word ungodly, the root word is the word God, the L-Y, makes it an adverb, a term of description, meaning someone who is saved and living their life for the glory of God and not trying to please themselves. When you put the UN, and we don't mean the United Nations, when you put the UN in front of that term godly and it becomes ungodly, it takes the positive and reverses it into a negative. It's the exact opposite. An ungodly person may be moral. An ungodly person who is not saved may have decent moral values, may be an, an, an outstanding citizen in the community by the world's standards. But, of course, the Bible says all of our righteousnesses, all of the right things we do are as filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. So as far as God's concerned, they have no merit. But in the eyes of humanity, we have a lot of people who are outstanding citizens but who don't know the Lord. It's the counsel of people like that that the psalmist is saying you need to avoid if you want to have God's blessing. Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, I did not have the privilege of going to a Christian high school. I went to a typical, this was back in 1964, I graduated. And that's, of course, my junior years when they took Bible reading and prayer out of the public schools. And my homeroom teacher, who was an old Quaker man, he wasn't saved, but... He was a mean old man, but he just took my Bible because I had my Bible in class every day. And he walked, paced up and down the front of the homeroom there, just taking my Bible and preaching from it about how this is going to destroy America. And he was right about everything that he said. <clears throat> but, folks, the point is that my guidance counselor, when he found that I was going to go to Bob Jones University, did everything he could to persuade me otherwise. I was going to go to BJU to, to major in music education. There was a local uh, state college that was renowned for its music program. In fact, I actually went there and auditioned and was awarded a scholarship. But I, my, my academics were so low, they said I have to go to junior college for two years, pull up my grades, then I would qualify to go there. And my guidance counselor, a nice fellow, folks, a decent moral man, he had in his own mind my best interest, but, folks, he didn't know anything about the Lord. He didn't know about the will of God. And he says, you go to this Bobby Jones, I think he thought it was named after the golfer. <laughs> you won't be able to get a job anyplace doing anything. Yeah, right. I said, well, that's where the Lord is, is leading me, so that's where I went. For one summer, I had the opportunity to study viola with a world-renowned violist by the name of Max Aronoff. There's a whole school of viola playing now that's named after him. He taught at the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia. I was a member of the Curtis uh, String Quartet. And the more I played the viola, <clears throat> the less I liked it. I mean, I'm physically, with my size, I'm better suited to a viola than a violin. But it just, the viola and, and, and me just, we didn't have that spark. And it kept driving me back to the violin. He said to me, listen, Ken, he said, you forget this ministry nonsense. That's what it was to him. And you give me two years of your life, six days a week, eight hours a day. You do what I tell you to do. You follow my instructions. I will personally guarantee you a seat in the Philadelphia Orchestra. I look back and I'm so thankful God spared me from that. They play a lot of music. Every every major orchestra plays a lot of music that I could not as a Christian play. They play a lot of good stuff. The Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, all that stuff. But there's a lot of junk they play that I, I could not with a clear conscience perform. And uh, he did not understand the will of God. Had I followed the advice of either one of these gentlemen who were thinking, look, they were looking out for me, I would not be here tonight. I would not be in the ministry today.
Listen, folks, if you want to know the blessing of God, you have got to not follow the counsel, not build your life on the counsel, the advice of those who don't know the Lord. Find, uh, place yourself under your fine pastor and, and assistant pastor and youth workers and Sunday school teachers, young people, and you let them advise you. You don't need the counsel of your unsaved high school counselor if you have the unfortunate opportunity, the unfortunate experience to attend the public school. They don't understand the will of God. They will not advise you in a biblical framework of thinking. And if you want the blessing of God, you dare not follow that kind of advice. Number two, notice in verse verse one, <clears throat> there's actually three parts to this. Blessed is the man that one does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Number two, who does not stand in the way uh, in the way of sinners. Now that phrase really puzzled me. And the more I got into it, began to dig beneath the surface, I realized it really has more to do with an attitude than an action. In other words, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are where sinners are and that you are doing <clears throat> what sinners do, <clears throat> but there's an attitude, there's a, there's a sense of longing. Boy, I wish I could be there. I, I wish I could be doing that, etc. Now, folks... Uh, where would, you, where would you rather be tonight if you had your druthers? I hope you'd rather be no place than where you are. Uh, this idea of, of, of standing in the path of sinners. Uh, uh, you know, folks, the devil knows what your weakest area is. And let me tell you something. Not everything in the world is wrong and sinful. There are some people who think that RVs are sinful. Well, then I've been living in sin for how many years now? Because we've lived in an RV since 1979. By the way, don't ever become envious when you see a big coach like that out there. That thing is, number one, it's 21 years old. Number two, it's got uh, over well over a quarter of a million miles on it. And number three, it has a direct link to my bank account. <laughs> and it's always in the negative. There is always something that they are a maintenance nightmare. We have it out of necessity. Believe me, folks. It is not luxury. I enjoy driving it. I like the big window space. There are probably half a dozen things in there that worked when we got it that don't work anymore, and you learn to live without them. Um, so I don't need a defroster. I don't need air conditioning, right? No, we do have roof air, but anyway, that's another story. Uh, there's nothing wrong with good, wholesome, classical music like the three Bs, and add to that the four Bs, not the Beatles either, but throw Berlioz into the other three Bs. Nothing wrong with the music of Brahms and Tchaikovsky and Mozart and Haydn. It's good, wholesome music, intellectually stimulating. <clears throat> and there's nothing in that music that will hinder your life spiritually. In fact, I'll tell you something. I can more easily listen to Mozart or Beethoven or Tchaikovsky or Haydn or Handel or any of those classical composers while I'm studying and preparing Bible message than I can by listening to half of what so-called passes for Christian music today that's just straight out of the pit of hell. Got a Christian name on it, but it's a false label, false identity, false advertising. Now, there's a lot wrong with rock music. A lot. And I don't have time to get into that this week. You all know that. Um, but there's nothing wrong with this classical music as we commonly think. And again, let me say that not everything performed by a major symphony orchestra is necessarily wholesome music. I've heard some of this stuff that has no melody, has all kinds of rhythms going on at the same time. Uh, there's no conclusion to it. There's a lot of dissonance. You know what dissonance is? Notes that don't belong with each other. 
And it just, it doesn't have a pleasant ending. It's just a bunch of disorganized noise. Why any orchestra would ever want to play that kind of junk is beyond me. I grew up having a love for classical music. Never did like rock and roll stuff. Just, just, we had a classical music station in our area, which no longer exists in Philadelphia. And I just grew up loving classical music. Lived for it. Listened to it as much as I could. Loved to play it. And I had the opportunity for the year I was, see, my senior, my junior, senior year. And then I was two years at Bob Jones and then out for a year, went back to play in the orchestra. I had an opportunity to play with the Springfield Symphony Orchestra for those three years. Now, folks, if you're a musician, there's nothing like playing in an orchestra or a band. Uh, you talk about quadraphonic sound. You know, you're, you're, <clears throat> you don't have it coming at you from all different directions. <clears throat> You are right in the middle of it, and it is an exhilarating experience. I got saved at the age of 15 in April the 6th of 1962. I thought I had surrendered my life to the Lord, but there's one thing I never offered to God, and that was my musing. You know why? I grew up in a fundamental church very much like Westside, about 300, 350 folks uh, attending. And we had lots of missionaries, lots of evangelists. Those were the days when we had two-week-long evangelistic campaigns. And twice, Dr. Oliver B. Green came and set up his tent that was bigger than a football field and had a four-week-long crusade. Boy, you talk about thinking you're in heaven. Man. Uh, But I never gave my music to God because every missionary... Every evangelist giving their testimony would say, I gave this to the Lord. I gave that to the Lord. And whatever they gave to God, he took. And I wasn't thinking about their, their alcohol, their life of crime, and, and their cigarettes. And I wasn't thinking those kinds of things. I'm thinking, man, whatever you give God, he takes. Maybe if I don't offer my music, he won't take it. I was afraid God would take it. So I didn't offer it to him, so it wasn't part of the deal. Well, I found out I was miserable. God could say, hey, you haven't given me everything. And folks, if you have not given God everything as a Christian, you've not given him anything. We don't make deals and bargains with God. We don't sit down and negotiate a settlement. We sign a contract, we date it, say, God, you fill in the details. That's surrender. And I had not done that. Well, the Lord was dealing with me even through Bob Jones. After I had surrendered to preach and all that kind of stuff, I was still battling with my music. The year I was out of college, working and I had a real job. I had a real job playing in the orchestra, and then I had a job that paid me money, and that was working in a shipyard. Um, and we were playing a concert one night. My wife to be was there. It was an almost sold out concert, and the first number in the program was Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. I don't know if you're familiar with that piece of music. If not, you ought to go home, get on YouTube, and look it up and listen to it. It is one of the most exquisite. Pieces of string music ever composed by a guy from right in the next town from where we lived. And I loved that piece of music. And, and we rehearsed it we, in the concert there. And, and I happened to glance up on the stage. And we had, for some reason, they decided to choreograph a, a ballet for a male and female. What do you call, what do you call, females are called ballerinas. What do you call a male ballerina? Ballerino? In Spanish, the O makes it masculine, the A makes it feminine. So a ballerina, ballerino. All right, there we go. You know what I mean, all right? 
And frankly, that, that took away from the music. The Adagio for strings doesn't need anything to enhance it. Anything you add detracts from it. Well, I just happened to sit here like this. The conductor's over there. I happened to glance up on the stage, and I saw something that nobody in that auditorium should have seen. That man's hands were all over that girl's body in places that no man other than a husband should touch, and then not in public. And that's when the Lord got me. It's like God said, did you see that? I saw it. Do you think that pleases me? You're a part of this. You are adding to, you are playing supporting, you You are helping what's going on on the stage. You are helping that to take place. And tears began to fill my eyes, and I had just gotten this violin here. It was, by the way, made in 1767, 249 years old this year. I had just gotten that violin. And, and, and the Lord begins to deal with me. Tears began to fill my eyes. I said, Lord, this is neither the time nor the place. Guess what, folks? You don't get to tell God what's the time and place. And God just wouldn't let up. He just kept turning the screws tighter and tighter. And my eyes filled with tears. I'm thinking, we'll deal with this later. God says, no, we're going to deal with it now. We're going to deal with it tonight, buddy. <clears throat> well, I got through that piece of music through tear-studded eyes. And when it was done as Dr. Super was taking the bows to the audience, I got up off my seat, took my violin, and walked off stage to the back room where we had our cases. Out of my peripheral vision, I saw Barb standing over in the corner. And I put my violin back in the case. She said nothing. She just stood there. I think she knew, because she saw it too, I think she knew that there was a real spiritual struggle taking place that night. And I put that violin back in the case, and I'm standing back bawling like a baby. And I said, God, it's yours. I said, God, I can't take it anymore. I'm miserable. I, I can't keep going on like this. It's yours. And God is my witness. When I closed the lid on that violin and latched the case that night, I did not know if I would ever again take it out and play it or not. But that night, it didn't matter. It could not have hurt me more to close the lid on the coffin of my dear mother than it did to close the lid on the violin case that night back in 1967. But it was God's. I have no regrets about that. Little did I know that God was not only going to let me keep the violin, but he was going to multiply the musical ministry many times. Folks, I didn't go looking for any of this junk. I mean, this stuff. <laughs> One Sunday night, we were having fellowship with a pastor and his wife in their home after the service. She said, are you interested in a vibroharp? I said, what's a vibroharp? She said, let me show you. She pulled this thing out. She couldn't play it. She didn't want it. She wanted $200 for it. I said, well, let me take it home and try it out. And so... Uh, obviously I did okay because I still have it. She got her $200. My brother bought it, gave it to me for Christmas. and She bought a typewriter and, and, a, and an auto harp and a fur coat or a new coat. and She's happy. And it's been serving the Lord now for 39 years. I didn't go looking for a Clavinova. We were going to a health food store 30 years ago now uh, looking for some special need things that we had in, in, in a mall. And right, they didn't have what we needed. And right across the street, from right across the, whatever you call those things in the malls, the highway, the walkway, whatever, there was a music store, and right next there, that was right next to the health food store, and across the hall was a dress shop with a four-letter word, S-A-L-E. 
I said, well, honey, I'm going to go in the music store and look around. She said, well, I'm going to go in the dress shop and look around. And the last thing I said to her was, don't buy anything. Four days later, I came out with a several thousand dollar piece of equipment that we got on sale. And there's a story behind that. We got robbed. and All my fishing tackle got stolen. My fishing rods, my tackle box, my toolbox. I don't care about the toolbox. They're only for somebody else to use. And, and anyway, God provided the, the, this thing here. We were able to get it without, without having any payments. And God laid on somebody's heart to buy me a new tackle box and get me all started again. That's another story which I don't have time to get into. I didn't go looking for these. These. Sometimes I've been tempted to try a ball-peen hammer and see how it would work. <laughs> Went to a concert one night when I was the music director in one of our sister churches to hear a violinist. His wife played the glasses. First time I ever heard him. Uh, several months later, a couple in our church who kept me supplied in music sold their Christian bookstore. They retired, and they brought me a bunch of boxes of, of catalogs and stuff. Inside was a, a catalog that had glasses advertised. They showed it to my brother. He took the catalog. I never saw it again. Three months later, he said, hey, Ken, my glasses just came. Would you come help me tune them? I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> you tune glasses? I had no idea until I got over there and we've been playing. That was 1974. Folks, I didn't go looking for any. God just dropped it in my lap. I'm sure glad he hasn't dropped the trombone or trumpet because I wouldn't know what to do. I don't have enough hot air to play one of those. (laughs) And he's too high strung to play a violin. (laughs) Isn't the Lord good, though? God provided, listen, I, I, I live for that classical music. Folks, until I was willing to give it to the Lord, it became an idol to me. You see, it wasn't that God wanted to take it. God wanted me to be willing for him to have it. Now, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, God took away my music. I don't know if you know about this or not, but I came down with a, with a staph infection. You know, it's a, it's a male thing. We get a scratch and we kind of pick at it and then it gets infected and then it got staph infection. Then they put me on some Keflex type medic, Keflex. Three little pills, three little pills that'll be taken off the market. And I erupted with a violent reaction that nearly killed me. I developed what's known as pityriasis rubipolaris. It's the worst form of psoriasis, the rarest form. There are only 28 cases known in the entire United States and I was one of them. I suffered with that for three and a half years. For 18 months, I lost my ability to play all the music. I couldn't play anything for 18 months. And I thought, well, the Lord, you, you, you finally did get it, didn't you? You finally took my music. I had to come to a place, folks, where I could honestly say with Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. God doesn't take anything out of your life that he will not replace it with something of infinitely greater value if you're willing for him to do it. 18 months is a long time for a musician not to be able to play. And the first time I was able to play the violin in public was at my mother's funeral. And I sounded like a beginner. But little by little, it all came back, and I've enjoyed and so thankful to the Lord for allowing me to continue in that musical ministry. We're not going to finish this passage, but let me just finish up here with verse 1. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That means to occupy a place with as a part of those 
who mock, ridicule, scoff, denounce, deride, make fun of the things of God. And probably all of you know people like that. Uh, we all know people who have no time for religion. All they can do is mock and make fun and ridicule. You say, preacher, I would never do that. Wait a minute. Maybe we are guilty if by nothing else than our cowardly silence happened to me while I was working that year in the shipyard. One guy came, every, 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 other, every other expression out of his mouth was GD this and GD that. And for months I tolerated that. Finally I said, I said, Lord, I can't take this anymore. I said, friend, can I correct your theology? He didn't even know what theology was. I said, God's not in the business of damning. God's in the business of saving. And his mouth dropped open. His eyes got big. And I walked away and left him there. He never cussed in my presence again. If only I had the courage to say it a lot earlier and a lot sooner. Well, take your Bible. Keep your finger here, please. Very quickly go back to Genesis chapter 13. I want to show you just one final thought here in Genesis 13. We'll look at a couple of scriptures here, but we're going to start in Genesis 13. And I am almost done. Notice Genesis 13 and verse 12. Without getting into all the background here. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent, notice, toward Sodom, where he could overlook the city and all of its glamour. Notice in, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 12, Chedorlaomer and some others come and attacked Sodom and Gomorrah, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt, notice, in Sodom. So he's moved from the outskirts. We simply overlooked the city. Now he's moved down into the city. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. And there came two angels <clears throat> to Sodom at even. Excuse me. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Now the phrase sitting in the gate is very significant. It's not referring to the entrance and exit to the city. It's referring to what we today would call the city council or the county board of commissioners. Now, having said that, turn, if you will, please, to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. One of these long Bible sentences, I want to jump in the middle and just read the part that deals with Lot. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, <clears throat> condemned them with an overthrow, <clears throat> making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Now there, the word ungodly is describing a wicked lifestyle. And delivered just Lot. Now the word just here doesn't mean only Lot, but it means just insofar as his standing with God is concerned. Vexed. With the filthy conversation, the filthy lifestyle of the world, of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul daily with their unlawful deeds. He was just, he was, and twice it mentions his, right, his being righteous insofar as his standing with God is concerned. Folks, here's a picture of a carnal Christian. Here's a picture of a man who walked where he shouldn't have walked. Who stood where he shouldn't have stood. And ultimately sat where he should not have sat. Folks, listen, we need to be separated from the world. We need to be uh, not living our life based on the counsel of the ungodly. 
We ought not to have a desire to be where sinners are, doing what they do. We ought not to ever be guilty of occupying, sitting in the seat of the scornful. But we need to be faithful to the Word of God and to the will of God. Tomorrow night we're going to come back and look at verses 2 and 3. And I kind of sense this stretching out into a series. But I hope that will be all right with you. And hope that the Lord will challenge your heart through the experiences that we share and through the ministry of the Word of God. I'm sure there's something that all of us needed to learn in what we looked at tonight. Let's bow together as we pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for the authority of the Scriptures. There is no higher court of authority than what saith the Scriptures, what saith the Lord. Lord, challenge the hearts of this congregation tonight and throughout this week. And Lord, through the messages that you've laid on my heart, I pray that you will accomplish a work in the lives of some here. There may be some here, Lord, who are struggling in their life with some area that they have not yet surrendered to you, even as I did with my music. Lord, help them to realize the only place of blessing is the place of full, complete surrender. And maybe you wish them to give up some boyfriend or girlfriend. Lord, there's something better for them. Lord, maybe there's a habit. Maybe there's something good in their life that just has become uh, more important to them than you have become. Lord, help them to be willing to lay it aside for your glory and for your goodness. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has never been saved, I pray that the Spirit of God would bring them to Christ even tonight. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, I want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, is there anyone here to say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart tonight, and as far as I know, I'm not saved. If I died tonight, I don't know whether I'd go to heaven or hell. God knows I'm a sinner, and I don't want to die that way. I want to be saved. Would you please pray for me? Would you let me know by just quietly slipping up your hand? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure of heaven, but I'd like to be. Anyone? I wonder if God has spoken to the heart of some believers here tonight. They'd say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart. I'm saved. I know that. That's not the issue. But when you share about some of the things that you had to struggle with in your life, there are similar struggles, maybe not with music, but maybe, maybe the wrong kind of music. Maybe there are other areas that God has been dealing with you with. Tonight, my friend, you need to let go and let God have it all. Anyone here say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm saved, but God spoke to my heart, and there's some things I need to settle with the Lord tonight. I don't need to know what they are, but just I'd like to pray for you if that's the need of your life. Would you let me know by just lifting your hand? Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Back there in the back. Yes, God bless you. Over here to my left. Thank you. God bless you. Number of hands tonight. Praise the Lord. Father, you've seen each hand. You know each heart. And you know what needs to be done. And I pray that the Spirit of God will help each believer to come to that place of letting go and letting God have His way in our life. And for that, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.